Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Genesis and the story of uh, Jacob's life. Fairly early on in the story of Jacob, uh, we read in Genesis 28, 10 to 17, uh, about a dream that he had. And we read this in Genesis 28, 10 to 17. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Back when I led students on mission trips or when I took them on Uh, To youth conferences, there was always a moment where God unexpectedly broke into the lives of our students, where they experienced God in some new and profound way. Now, these mountaintop experiences worked a lot like the final scene in The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy's dog Toto pulls the curtain away, revealing that somebody is working behind the scenes, moving people into position for some unknown Reason. We know that scene, right? But unlike the movie where the wizard is revealed to be a, a self-centered fraud, students on these trips suddenly realize that God really has been working beyond their perception for their good, helping them to grow into the people he designed them to be. We have had similar experiences like this in our life too, where we feel God moving in some real and personal way. When we feel God near us, spiritual realities, which are often clouded by our regular lives, can be seen with with deeper clarity. Mountaintop experiences tend to ground us in God's fierce love, reminding us that he calls us his beloved children, that we have been called by him for a purpose. We discover the person who has been knocking at the door of our hearts is real. That he has a name and wants to change us from the inside out. These moments tend to energize and sustain our faith. The problem is that most of the time, life is not full of these mountaintop experiences. We live in such a broken world and we typically struggle to see God Clearly, most of the time, it doesn't feel like God is right next to us. Sometimes we maybe uh, even wonder whether he's moving in this world or our lives at all. 
All those mundane moments of running errands or paying bills or, or doing work, uh, mowing the lawn, pulling up weeds, they all lack that fresh feeling of God's presence. Being stuck in traffic as rain drizzles from a dull gray sky usually doesn't measure up to a breathtaking sunset. Even when we experience the nearness of God in our lives, we, we still tend to return to what's normal, that, that sort of routine status quo. As those feelings we felt on the mountaintop fade, we wonder, where has the Lord gone? Yes, God touched us then. We know that he, we know that he touched us once. But how do we know he's still here now? How do we know that he's still moving in our lives? If he loves us, why can't we feel him? Why doesn't he show up in the grocery store or at the office or when we're uh, putting away the dishes? Our broken world wants us to believe that God is more absent than present in our life. But Jacob's dream tells us our Lord always moves behind the scenes with strength and purpose. Just outside the realm of our senses, the activity of the kingdom operates at full tilt. As Jacob exclaims when he woke up from his dream, our God wants us to realize that surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. However, like Jacob, two aspects of human nature blind us to God's presence in our lives. The first is this. Jacob could not recognize the Lord's presence because he was preoccupied with his own circumstances. Notice that Jacob did not have this dream in his own comfortable bed, but in the wilderness between cities with his head resting on a rock in the middle of a journey that began with his brother's promise to kill him. That's where we find Jacob in this story. Now, Jacob had kindled his brother Esau's anger the previous week by cheating him out of his brother's blessing. Now, to be fair, Esau did trade his right as firstborn to inherit his father's entire estate, including the family blessing given to their grandfather Abraham by Yahweh himself for a bowl of soup. Okay, that happened. Esau came in from after a hard day's work and he said, man, I'd do anything for just something to eat. And Jacob said, really? Here, have some soup. You can eat this and you give me everything else. Now, Jacob took advantage of this throwaway remark from a hungry Esau at the end of a long day. And that hardly should have been honored. But Jacob went further, right? He tricked his own blind, dying father Isaac into transferring Esau's birthright to himself. And he dressed up in a hairy coat and he disguised his voice. So this is just a little bit more than a casual interaction at the dinner table. Esau was enraged and he promised to kill his brother if he ever saw him again. At the advice of his mother, Jacob fled from home. Behind him, he had left his family in pieces. His brother was murderous, his father was dying if not already dead, and his mother was heartbroken. Ahead, he faced a great unknown, little hope of reconciliation, a vague promise to go and find his uncle, and no real prospects on the horizon. He was homeless, he was on the run, 
And he laid down exhausted to sleep on the road. Notice he, the only reason he stopped was because the sun had set. Jacob had a lot on his mind, but his words of astonishment later reveal no awareness of the Lord. His own circumstances dominated his concern. He was worried. He was anxious and uncertain about his journey, wondering about what the next day or week would bring. And even though he had just received the blessing of his father, which entails an intimate relationship with the Lord, Jacob was completely preoccupied with his chaotic circumstances. He was worried more about what was happening to him that moment than anything God might have been doing behind the scenes. We are familiar with Jacob's mindset, with the demands of the world clamoring for our attention, not to mention our own details, the own details of our own messy lives. There is little precious room in our minds and hearts to seek the Lord on a consistent basis, to look for him in the midst of all the things we're doing. Perhaps God really does appear in the little details and trenches of life, but the noise of our own distractions drowns out the still small voice of the maker speaking to his children. And yet the problem goes deeper than simple distraction. Because Jacob's sin fatally impairs his awareness of God's presence. Although we may seek the presence of God, our ability to see him has been disturbingly compromised. Tim Keller writes that we are all naturally as blind to spiritual realities as a physically blind person is to their surrounding environment. We look at nature And we cannot discern an author. We look at history and we fail to see God's hands. So we take credit for things that are his gifts. We read the gospel and find it a foolish story. Even believers find there is dullness to their vision that they don't see things clearly. Our sin, the sin that rests in each of us, distorts the past inspiring us to doubt whether God ever moved in our lives at all. Unaware of his current work within us, we question whether his promises will prevail in the future. Like us, the sin within Jacob's heart clouded his vision so fully, any sign the Lord revealed would not only be missed, but intentionally avoided. John Calvin writes that sin corrupts our spiritual outlook so badly that the very communication by which he would draw us to himself is not perceived by us. Indeed, so greatly are we at variance with him, we regard him as our adversary and so in turn flee from his presence. Sin blinds us to God's movement and his activity so that without help we remain in spiritual confusion, ignorant of, ignorant of the danger our souls face living apart from his grace and love. Shakespeare writes in Julius Caesar that the fault is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Like Jacob, our damaged vision hinders us from recognizing what God is doing, ensuring that we miss his presence in our lives. But while we may share Jacob's 
helpless position when it comes to recognizing God's presence, the contents of Jacob's dream reveal a shared hope. Failing to hear God might be inherently human, but the Lord promises to make himself known to us so clearly even our broken hearts, even our distracted minds and impaired vision cannot avoid seeing his great love for us. The Lord shows us how this happens in three ways. First, Jacob's dream confirms God desires to be near his children. God desires to be near us. Our God desires to be near you. Contrary to our limited perspective, the Lord does not want to hide from us. Describing God's providence throughout history, Paul writes in Acts 17 that God did all of this, brought Jesus into the world so that his children would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. The Lord desires to make himself known. Early church father Athanasius uh, wrote this. He said, the Lord took pity on mankind, therefore, and did not leave them destitute of the knowledge of himself, lest their very existence should prove purposeless. For of what use is existence to the creature if it cannot know its maker? In his dream, Jacob witnesses a radical connection between heaven and earth, unique among encounters with God in Scripture. While he continues his family's tradition of seeing and hearing the Lord in person, Jacob sees a multitude of angels descending from above and doing kingdom work on earth. This glimpse behind the curtain reveals that unlike the Tower of Babel, a hidden connection exists already between heaven and earth, already between God and his people, created not by humanity, but maintained by God himself. As preacher James Boyce writes, no experience ever shows the closeness of heaven to earth or the interest of heaven in earth more vividly than Jacob's dream. Second, Jacob's dream reveals that the Lord sought Jacob even though Jacob had not sought the Lord. Again, Jacob had never thought to seek God in his troubles. He didn't call to the Lord for relief from his condition, never offered so much as a prayer of thanksgiving, did nothing to induce the Lord to allow this miraculous glimpse into the kingdom. He was on the run for stealing. And he had shown no remorse, only frustration that he'd gotten caught and wasn't able to enjoy the fruits of his deception. Jacob offered no sacrifice, no repentance, provided no measure of devotion. And yet, and yet, the Lord still appeared. Only through a free gift of grace does Jacob find himself standing at the bottom of a great ladder extending from the heights of heaven, watching the Lord pledge his undying allegiance to Jacob's life and future. Jacob's dream reveals that the presence of God does not depend upon our actions, but on his mercy and love. 
The Lord's promise to guard and be with Jacob should astound us, for Jacob is undeserving of any kind of protection or intervention. He's done nothing to earn God's faithfulness, much less God's permanent promise to be with him and to keep him. But here we remember that we share Jacob's story. We are equally preoccupied with ourselves. We are negligent of God's movement around us. And rather than seeking the Lord, we often try to manage things on our own with increased confusion and peril, the poor results. Like Jacob, we don't deserve God's presence and the blessing that his presence brings. But the grace Jacob received from the Lord in his dream, we receive at the cross. Ultimately, Jacob's dream points to the arrival of Jesus who tunes our hearts to recognize God and embeds his presence in our hearts forevermore. God's promise to remain with Jacob is verified in Jesus who unites the Lord with his wayward children forever. The blood of Jesus conquers sin and puts to death every distraction that would ever separate us from the Lord and igniting the transformation of sinners into the redeemed people of God. John Calvin writes, it is Christ alone, therefore, who connects heaven and earth. He is the only mediator who reaches from heaven down to earth. He is the medium through which the fullness of all heavenly blessings flow down to his children and through which in turn we ascend to God. Of course, we don't deserve this honor. None of us have earned the right to stand before the Lord and be joined to him forever. We have turned away from him too many times to count. We have ignored his presence too often. But the promise found in Jacob's dream and confirmed in Jesus reveals our God desires to draw so near to his children, he would dwell within us so that we might become more and more like him and never ever again have to wonder whether he was with us, whether he's moving in our lives, whether he is doing things for us and even through us. In the end, Jacob's ladder reveals the presence of God is not reserved for every now and then. The presence of God's mountaintop experiences isn't reserved for just occasionally, but destined to consume us, to fill our every waking moment, to expand our dreams beyond the boundaries of our fear, to embolden hope in the face of despair and to transform us in his likeness, the kingdom of God, the very presence of God is so much closer than we imagine. Church, he comes knocking on the door of our hearts, not to draw us out, but to plant Jacob's ladder in the very depths of our souls. And Jesus, our God, comes to each one of us even now, to remake us, to align our hearts with his, to tune our entire existence to his grace and his love and his hope and his joy. Even now he draws so near 
He draws near so he might break through whatever separates us from his love. In Jesus, the extraordinary not only touches our ordinary life, but remakes us from the inside out so the extraordinary might live in us forevermore. That is the promise of Jacob's dream and the confirmation of our every hope in Jesus. Our Lord comes to us to plant heaven in our hearts. Don't you hear him coming? Even better, don't you hear him breaking through? Don't you know that our God is already here and we didn't know it? Hallelujah. Amen.